Hi guys, welcome to A Contagion Conversation. I'm Saba. And I'm Josh. And today we're just going to talk about how we feel about COVID, how we felt about COVID, and everything in between. Yeah, what a great what a great introduction. And here we are at the Tish Digital Design Studio in this podcast space, which is really exciting to be here with you, um, to be talking with headphones and microphones. Yeah, fun fact, um, me and Josh didn't know each other until maybe like two months ago. Yeah, and I think that's what makes this conversation really special, and especially about COVID, because I think so much of the experience was not being able to make those kinds of new connections in mm-hmm. ways that felt, you know, natural and special um, but in any case, here we are at the end of the fall 2022 semester, which is really wild. Um, and we were sort of both talking and we said, wouldn't this be a really unique moment to talk about fall of 2020? Yeah, a lot has happened in between those two years. A lot has changed. And we're just going to talk about it because, well, fall of 2020, I was going into my sophomore year. I experienced college. I experienced what it was like to be a freshman at Tufts before covid and you were going into your freshman year right no i was starting my freshman year so i think we both have this really really cool perspective on what that was like what has changed what has stayed the same um we're really excited to be sort of spending a week in that life in september of 2020 um i know for me right that was my first week at college for you this is the first week back at tufts Mm -hmm. post-pandemic or mid-pandemic really yeah um so we really wanted to set the scene set the scene for you right where we're back at Tufts. It's September 2020. We immediately show up. It's that seven-day quarantine. I'm from Florida. So I'm it was, from California. Right. So it was eight days. By so we're really excited to talk about all things testing, all things COVID, COVID relationships, COVID anxiety, sort of where we're situated in that moment, because I think it was such a significant cultural, historical, you know, pop culture moment in time. So we want to transport ourselves back there. We want to live that week again. And really take the space to sort of process what that was like. So a little structure about this podcast is that we're doing it in the form of a week. And first we're going to talk about Sunday. And Sunday is going to be reflecting on us coming back to campus, how that was a reflection of our summer as well. This was a summer of a huge boom in pop culture with like people being on their phones, people being on social media. Um, everyone downloaded TikTok, and it was also a summer of the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah, no, that's a really great point. And I think we found ourselves sort of navigating two pandemics at the same time. This incredible sort of racial reckoning, um, Black Lives Matter movement following the death of George Floyd, sort of overwhelming the summer on top of 
the sort of racial health disparities that dominated during COVID and especially pre-vaccine, as we've talked about in the class. Yeah, and it's really important to note how in the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of minority groups, especially black communities, had higher COVID rates and death rates. Um, And it's also something that in our ex-college class about contagion we've seen throughout history has happened and occurred before. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what was so unique about the summer of 2020 is the COVID pandemic was so sort of casted on to black bodies and the news, the media, right? That was what was being reported at that time, right? These shocking racial health disparities and sort of scratching our heads at a very obvious sort mm-hmm. of structural question about where does this come from and how is this happening? I think something um, important to think about was that there was, and in pa- in the past, there's been this narrative that um, black bodies are stronger, that disease doesn't impact them that much. We mm-hmm. saw that with yellow fever, the yellow fever epidemic right. in Philadelphia in 1793. Um, and we saw that with COVID at the same time. And we continue seeing that in a lot of um, like pregnancy related mm deaths for black women and um yeah these racial disparities in health are just highlighted throughout the pandemic no you make a great point and i think it was such a spectacle right it was such a such a thing for people to to look at and really try to make sense of just the numbers and the graphs and it was all so visual for people yeah um and i think when we talk about right the summer of 2020 where was the pandemic at its hardest and i think that relates to our arrival on campus because there was this really, really strong narrative of, of regionality, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, people, folks from the Northeast having a very different experience of the pandemic than those in specifically sort of like red states, southern states, yeah. on the West Coast. Um, and I think that really translated in what the tough sort of welcome back COVID response was. But I, I want to sort of focus in on right, arriving to campus, right? You're from California, you talk mm-hmm. about that experience. I'm from Florida, so very different, very, very different. But um, I think, you know, coming to Massachusetts for our for our listeners out there, right? Tufts said, if you are not from the Northeast region, you have to arrive to campus seven or eight days before um, classes began and you would isolate in your space by yourself. You had to isolate for five days completely alone in your room if you had a roommate. You both had to wear masks at all times and had to maintain six feet, which how do you maintain six feet in a small (laughs) dorm room at Tufts? Right. There was such an impossibility about it, such an isolation. Um, It it was a really hard time for me. And I think as a freshman showing up, this was my first exposure, sort like pun intended, to Tufts. (laughs) And it it was such a strange beginning to college and such a such a complete flip of what one expects when they arrive. And I remember just that deep isolation in in those first few days, having literally known nobody. Um, Which is so different than, like, when I came to campus in 2019, it was just like, here is a bunch of people mm. in your hall. Meet them. Oh, here's a bunch of people in your major. Meet them. Like, a million ice cream socials. Like, right. Everyone learned that they were lactose intolerant. It's just, it's so different than you just being alone probably doing everything on zoom oh absolutely yeah and also people wore masks like while they were on zoom so you probably had no idea who anyone was all of that all of that and more and i think arriving to campus right there was in in this sort of like isolation moment such a turn to like we had talked about things like tiktok and i think Mm -hmm. 
hate to be corny and talk about TikTok, but it's it's important to bring that up because it is such a unique place where you can by yourself interact with all of these different people, all of these different themes that are going on. Um, and I think we also talked about on campus, right, this this strange reckoning with Black Lives Matter. And I think we've we've discussed as a class the sort of sinister and disguised racism that exists in the Northeast that's mm-hmm. just sort of different from the flavors of the rest of the parts of the country. Especially in Boston. Absolutely, right. Such a legacy of, of colonialism and slavery that is sort of strange and uncomfortable to, to reconcile. Um, and I think translated into the feeling on campus and um, just the social media posts and the Instagram stories mm-hmm. and you know a real sense of, of peers sort of finding reasons to analyze the actions of other peers very closely um, and I think that sort of that Sunday right we're here we're starting out this week sort of set the stage and sort yeah. of put the actors on the stage for what would become a really strange environment for folks to begin college with that there was a lot of political activism that performative yeah. activism it's I think really activism. captures that well yeah um, and I think was such a part of COVID so why don't we why don't we call it a Sunday this was really awesome and let's move on to Monday. Yeah. And so here we are on Monday, and I think building off of our previous conversation about sort of what what did it mean to get COVID? What did COVID mean in the college space? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when we talk about contagion as a metaphor, right, a lot of different meanings emerge behind COVID as that initial week began. Yeah. There's a real sense of judgment towards those getting COVID because at this time, really, those getting COVID were those breaking the rules um and and there existed this tension between those getting covid because they're breaking the rules and those getting covid because they sort of had to they were forced into spaces jobs situations that exposed them so during this time i actually worked at pax for a year during the covid year um it was a great time i learned a lot about making bagel sandwiches but also um I was kind of scared because we were in these cohorts of 10 people and they were the only people we could see. And three of us um, worked for Tufts Dining and a lot of people in Tufts Dining were getting COVID because what you're doing is just like constantly Mm. interacting with people in small spaces. If you have been to PAX, you know how tight it is back there. And um, not only are you like interacting with people who are like making the food and the dining hall um, workers, but you're also interacting with people who you're handing the food to. You're yeah. swiping cards, like scanning phones. Yeah. Um, no, you raise a, you raise a great point about right people who didn't really have the choice about mm-hmm. whether to be around COVID, and I think that sort of balances out with sort of the Tufts policies were essentially without explicitly saying it right. Don't party, don't be stupid, don't be around other people when you don't have to. And I think a lot of the the sort of disciplinary process that was involved with COVID um, revolved around COVID being a metaphor for what was social irresponsibility. Those people who prioritize their own sort of individual self-interests over that of the campus community. And I think in the messaging that was gone out, right, that was what was often said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is really interesting to see how, like, the lower class at Tufts, um, they're very much a marginalized group here. And like the COVID pandemic had a very different impact on them. And mm-hmm. also like getting COVID wasn't just like, oh, I get to go to the mods and party for a week. But it was like, oh, I 
don't get to work for a week or maybe even two weeks because at this point Mm -hmm. you had a quarantine for what 14 days even if you got contact trace right so for those listening the mods are and were the modular housing units that exist on tufts campus they are essentially a refrigerator box with windows for students with positive covid results but at this moment in september of 2020 the policy was if you had been potentially exposed to covid you would have to quarantine for 14 days. 14 days. And That's if you had COVID, you would time. be in that modular housing unit for 14 days. And what would happen was that, like, you were like, oh, I'm contact traced. I'm going to hang out with everyone else who's who – I'm going to hang out with everyone else who was contact traced because you really, like – Spending 14 days alone, that's hard for a college student. Like, you need social interaction. And people who just were contact traced and didn't even have COVID would get COVID. Right. Because they would just party up there. Right. They would just, like... Right. So there was sort of these two worlds occurring at once, right? Students and many students, um, low income on financial aid, sort of requiring themselves to be in spaces, like you said, like packs at Lux, like the dining halls, um... You know, in other spaces where they had to be interacting with people. And then there was an entire group of people who exposed themselves because they wanted to. Um, And I think there was such an attitude towards those people on campus. But what I think was most interesting, right, was while that sort of performance of what was the sort of social norm, don't get COVID, you know, it's an unnecessary exposure, was often more external than it was internal. And I think people often made space and excuses for themselves Mm -hmm. That didn't apply to other people. I don't know if yeah. you saw the, a similar trend. I think I did. There's definitely a huge um, dichotomy between yep. people who had, like, a configuration view mm. versus a contamination view. Like, oh, I am I am X, Y, and Z. Like, right. I'm super healthy. I go on morning runs, and I, like, go to class, and I wear my mask so I can hang out with my friends mm. versus people being like, oh, like, I'm going to wear a mask. I'm going to be careful, I'm going to, like, stay in my own space because, like, I'm going to get COVID if I don't do that. Right, and I think on on both of those ends of, you know, contagionist, configurationist views, there was a sense of cognitive dissonance in that Mm -hmm. people could really be so snappy about the things that other people did and then could make space for themselves to do the same things and really excuse themselves in, in a way that's, I think, sort of psychologically makes sense, right? We have to have some framework in which we allow ourselves to do things that might break the rules and also still maintain that we're part of this group of careful people on campus. Yeah. It was definitely a crazy time. And and I think, you know, speaking of crazy times, I think this is an appropriate moment to transition to, you know, moving on to Tuesday and Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking about our personal lives. Our personal lives, right? What did what were covid relationships? What was covid mental health? How did that all function? As college students on this Tufts campus, let's take a break and let's rejoin you for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yes. So now we're on to Wednesday and we're going to talk about COVID relationships. And this is a little embarrassing for me because I was one of those people who was like, I'm being safe. I'm quarantining. I'm not partying. But I'm going to sneak onto BU's campus to hang out with my <laughs> girlfriend all the time. Love that, love that. And the difference between BU and Tufts was that um, they had guards at all of their dorms checking everyone's IDs. Mm. And I would pull some really dumb shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I would sneak into her dorm by, like, 
hiding in a suitcase and she would wheel me up. Oh my. I God. one time like hid in I mean, one of those you have like, somebody that you could feel comfortable being around and being connected with during this this time as we get back to campus in September. Um it it genuinely meant the world to me mm-hmm. because like at home over quarantine it was really hard to be around like my parents and my sister. Yeah. Um I just come out like a week before we were sent home and my parents didn't respond super well to it and then all of a sudden Tufts was like get off campus and I was like oh shoot I have to spend so much time with them now um so it meant like a lot to have someone who I felt okay being around because Mm -hmm. I didn't feel okay being around my family over quarantine um and also, this was a time where, like, everyone was going through so many personal things and you didn't want to constantly, like, push your mental yeah. health onto others. Yeah. However, like, I, like, s- someone who you're dating is someone who you are constantly talking to. So I had someone who I was constantly talking to. Yeah. I think one thing to note about COVID relationships is that they do end. Mm. Um, and a huge part of that was, like, when we started having more leniency with like who we could see and what we could do it was more of just like we are so dependent on spending so much time together because that's all that we've done and now instead of spending like every day together we're spending maybe like two or three days a Mm. week which is still so much but that difference of like time and space and what's yeah. happening in the world really changes COVID relationships. Absolutely. I think I think you make a great point because t- like we've talked about in class, pandemic time is just cra- – it's so different. It's crazy mm-hmm. because, you know, thinking about that summer was slow as molasses. Oh, my God. Time was – it was minute by minute, right? There was nowhere to do, nothing to do. But at the same time, and especially for me, right, college is starting. So yeah. – You know, these frameworks, these times are just like all existing at once. And Mm -hmm. it was so confusing to experience the slowest summer of my life, but also approaching the four fastest years of my life. Yeah, college goes by like a snap of a finger. Absolutely, it does. And I think, you know, when we think about the relationship experience that you were talking about, did you find that the awareness of time, the awareness of COVID changed the nature of your relationship you talked about right being around different not being able to be around different people was the awareness of the moment and sort of the the direness urgency imminence of all of what covid was influence that experience for you i mean i think a huge part of why we started dating was because we couldn't be around other people Mm. and now like if we are in a relationship now we have an excuse to be around each other and have someone um i don't think we should have just not to get into like personal things yeah, with of me and her, but I we both shouldn't have dated each other, especially after like come like having this traumatic summer of like only seeing your family. <laughs> Sometimes that's not super great. Right. I love my family. I don't want to spend like every single waking <laughs> minute with them for right. four months. Right. That's so difficult. Um yeah, no, you make a great point. And I want to draw on um, just some some sort of primary material from this time. And I have in front of me um, the Tufts Sexual Health Representatives. And mm-hmm. for our listeners, right, this is a really influential group on campus, has existed for many years, sort of peer-to-peer sexual health education and, and advisement. And during this time, right, you can imagine that that work conflicted with university policies around being with other people and mm-hmm. especially 
in a way where you really can't avoid being in close contact, um, you know, during sex. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at this material now and one of the most influential flyers, um, and I think you recognize this one I that do. you see all over campus was right, what what to ask before you hook up mm-hmm. with during COVID is what this essentially was asking. And it runs through this checklist, right? Do you have symptoms? Um, are you, do you have a sore throat? Are you coughing? Right. There was that. But at the same time, they were also asking, are you around immunocompromised roommates or other mm-hmm. folks? Right. What does your social circle look like? Can you justify this risk? So I think it was so interesting that they acknowledged, right, sex is happening. People are in relationships, but also under the the sort of ideology of Tufts and of how we're going to control the pandemic, which is you can't do that. Yeah. So, right, thinking about all of that happening with the sex health reps, that advisement, what was so interesting to me and hearing from, you know, friends and their experiences, right, the kind of conversations that people had and were sort of advised to have before sex was, do you have COVID? Are you positive or negative? It wasn't about HIV. It wasn't about STDs. It was about COVID. Yeah. Which is like such – it blows your mind really that how much space that that occupied in every part of life and that even – in those conversations about sex that it was literally about COVID. I know. Now, instead of being like, hey, are you STD free? You're like, hey, are you COVID free? And you're putting yourself at risk for everything else. Wow. Well, this was awesome. Let's pause here and let's move on a little bit to later in this week, um, the Thursday, Friday gloomies. Let's talk about COVID mental health, that space on campus, what that looked like and what it felt like. All right, and we are back talking later in the week um, about COVID anxiety, mental health. And I think this was such a big part of folks' lives during this week, during this moment in COVID. Often overlooked, I think often not processed enough. Now, you know, thinking about the moment we're at now. Um, And I think it's important to sort of recognize, live that moment again um, so that we can move forward. Um, Because it was so so dark and and like we've sort of alluded to before, Showing up here as a freshman by myself, right? No one here from my high school. Mm-hmm. I was truly floating in Medford in my dorm room you by myself. You as alone as you could be. Truly could not have been more alone. Like, li- literally, it was actually impossible. I guess if I couldn't even talk to myself, that would be the only <laughs> that'd be the only thing worse. But what was interesting is I had, and I think developed, and I think it was sort of, you know, a part of this moment was such a deep fear of COVID. Yeah. Like, I truly could not have been more scared of anything else. And it was like, I think, probably a, a, a projection of all of the other anxieties and things about starting college that I had displaced onto COVID mm-hmm. um, and onto, onto what that would be like to, well, this sucks. I'm alone now. What's it going to be like when I'm alone for two weeks yeah. in the mods by myself? So I think I was just so overwhelmed mm-hmm. by it all. And the thing that I could... And I think this is true for many people, right? What I could control was what I did about COVID and, like, what my actions were. So, like, it was, for me, such a constant anxiety at all times mm-hmm. about about COVID, um, about getting COVID, about giving COVID. Um, and it was really challenging to, to, to find support about that on campus because I think it wasn't something that people were ready – to talk about with each other because it was like me too. You know what I mean? Like it it was so overwhelming that you couldn't even put words to it. 
Yeah. And it's important to note that like how we think about disease influences how we talk about it. Yep. And once again, like being in the Northeast, being at Tufts, it was like not to I'm going to quote a movie. Yeah. Um, I'm going to quote Outbreak. Quote it. The single biggest threat to man's continued dominance on the planet is the virus. And yep. that's exactly what it felt like. Oh, it absolutely. felt like COVID was the end of the world, yep. that this is going to be this way forever. Yep. We're going to constantly have to quarantine. We're going to constantly have to spend 14 days alone if we get contact traced. Mm. Um, and it was really scary. Yeah. And I think we think about what were the images being sort of proliferated on social media and the news? And it was caskets. It was, you know, this moment in September 2020. And we're looking at um, some some news media that we pulled up here now. Right. We were talking about what are the different we're talking about the English strain, the Italian strain. Right. Mm -hmm. all, all of these different covid slitting around so much unknown. Right. The hope was really beaten and broken down with this new variant that had emerged at the end of the summer. Right. When things were starting to feel a little more normal, right? We're seeing hospitals overwhelmed by bodies and by caskets and by body bags and by um, ventilators. Um, yeah. And that was, the, that was the media. And it was, and I'll tell you, right, this was before a vaccine. If you got COVID, you got sick. If you ran a marathon every day, it didn't matter. You got sick, right? Yeah. It was just so traumatic for folks. And I think hearing stories from other students at the time who did get COVID, um, I remember one of my friends telling me, he had such an intense headache that he literally could barely see. Like, it was affecting his vision. He felt fogged for two weeks, right? Mm -hmm. People lost their sense of smell permanently. Like, it was – so all of these sort of rumors floating from the top, floating from the bottom – infiltrated every aspect of life of covid but that's also how we see it because Absolutely. then you would go to a lot of southern states and yep. they'd be like this is fake i'm right. not wearing a mask right. i had a kid um in one of my spanish classes right. who was from mississippi and he was like i didn't wear a single mask over quarantine right. i didn't even quarantine it was a normal summer for me yeah and he comes back to Tufts and he is literally forced into this entirely new world. Yeah. No, it's why. And I think what's what what affected me so much was that the the recognition of that, of that this is in my brain. Right. Mm -hmm. This is not a pandemic for everybody right now. Right. Yeah. Not everybody recognized what we're going through. And I think that made me feel crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was true for so many people. Right. How, like what's going on with me that I can't move past this? Yeah, and we, yeah, go sorry. ahead. I was gonna say we also see how like different governments respond mm. to it. The U.S. did not do a good job. Yep. Um, and then I had a friend who studied abroad in New Zealand where they did amazing. Oh. Literally, the only people who were allowed to go to New Zealand were people with New Zealand citizenships, and. When you got there, they would pay for you to quarantine for two weeks in, an, wow. in a really nice hotel. She stayed in a very beautiful hotel, like overlooking the ocean. Mm -hmm. um, they would feed you. So no like monetary cost out of your own pocket. Yeah. And you lived life as normal because literally no one had COVID because they had <laughs> such strict restrictions. Right, right. And it's just navigating all of these people at once. And what was sort of interesting about, about COVID and this moment and this week was that you literally could not escape it. Mm -hmm. it and I've talked about this before um, in a comment in class, but 
literally COVID manifested everywhere, right? It was in your bookmarks. It was in your apps. It was in your phone. It was in the emails we'd get every other day Mm -hmm. telling us we didn't have COVID. It was from the texts from friends, right? That was the conversation. Do you, oh my God, were you exposed? What's going to be going on, right? Mm -hmm. That constant, just sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for that text. I hate to tell you this. I just tested positive. Please be careful. That like truly kept me up at night. No, I agree. I remember like one of my roommates um, got contact traced. Mm-hmm. She was exposed in a class, and she was like maybe on the other side mm. of the per- of um, the room than the person who had COVID, wearing like everyone's masked up. Like yeah. this is the time of like double masking. Yep. Like everyone's being so careful, yeah. and we were like you need to leave our suite because you scare us. You're going to, you're going <laughs> yeah, to give us COVID. exactly. No, and I think about, I'm thinking about Christina Wong's suggestion, specifically for this project, right? Looking to things, to trace things. And like I said before, I look at just my inbox. Every mm-hmm. other email was literally about COVID. Yeah. And it was, it literally overtook every space in my mind. I think, our collective understanding of who we are on this campus was so dominated by COVID that, like, nothing else mattered, really. Yeah. Um, and it was really overwhelming, and it was, like I said, impossible to escape. I think that, like, a moment for me where I had some hope, finally, about mm-hmm. COVID and about it changing was during election season. Absolutely. And what a better transition onto our um, next topic as we approach the weekend here on Friday and Saturday – Let's talk about this impending election, right? The election of 2020 of Donald Trump, of his second potential term, um, right? This is such a moment. So let's let's pause here. Let's break it down. So now we are on to Friday and we are going to talk about the presidential election and about everything surrounding it. Mm. Um I think that there was a lot of fear around this election, specifically because what we saw before with Trump versus Clinton was that winning the most votes does not always win the election. And Mm -hmm. the margin of um, the handful of states that could decide how the race goes is quite narrow. As we're in September of 2020, right, the election was this just impending thing and as much as COVID and race relations and, and criminal justice reform right, were on the minds of everybody, mm-hmm. none of this would be possible if Trump was in office. Truly impossible. So the election, I think, was on the forefront of urgency and imminence for so many folks, especially at Tufts, which has just always been a very civically active yeah. place. Um, and I think that was really prominent in discussion. And while the two candidates, Trump and Biden, were very different um, in their views— I think one huge distinction between them was their approach to the pandemic because Trump was like, this is a huge country. We have a massive economy and people are losing their jobs and are depressed and Mm. are doing more drugs than ever seen before because we're not opening up the um, economy enough. Whereas Biden was like, if we close down the economy and force everyone to quarantine, then we could open it up faster. Mm. And I just remember, like, watching the elections and hearing Trump say, we're learning to live with it and it being COVID. And Biden literally just counteracting immediately saying, we're dying with it. Mm. And, like, in an interview, I believe he also said, 
um, how can you let someone remain president after they have been responsible for so many American deaths? Mm. Um, no, that's a wonderful point. I think I'm, I'm pulling from an article I'm reading um, about sort of issues on the ballot for this 2020 election with the top issue surprisingly being not COVID. It was the economy. Really? It was yeah. the economy, which, which I guess is in many ways tied to, to COVID. COVID. But let, like, let's think about that. Like that is where the priorities were. And mm-hmm. I think this was, like I said earlier, um, like with my dad treating COVID patients, right? My mind and my concerns were always about our healthcare system, mm-hmm. our healthcare providers, about COVID just wreaking havoc in this space. And for so many people and in so many leaders, it was about the money. Yeah. I mean, it was about the money for a lot of people. Yeah. I know for my family, my dad lost his job mm. a month into COVID and just got another one like a year and a half later. Yeah. It's it's insanity. And, I, and I'm, I'm reading here again, right, 32% of voters ranked economy as the most important issue when deciding their vote for president, followed by the coronavirus outbreak, mm-hmm. criminal justice and policing and race relations, as we've sort of dissected earlier. Um, but there really was this stark partisan divide with Republican voters prioritizing the economy, followed by criminal justice and policing, mm-hmm. not the kind of criminal justice and policing reform that you and me are talking about, mm-hmm. um, with Democratic voters prioritizing um, the coronavirus, followed by race relations. What was sort of the feelings um, around the election for you? I I had a lot of hope, I will say, because I think that the pandemic really led to a voting surge. Mm. A lot more people cast their ballots than they did before. Yeah. Um, maybe this was because of voting by mail. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, no, that was a great point. I think voting by mail was such a new and unique thing um, as a student. And something that, that bothered me, and I remember really reflecting on this in the moment, was... There was some student organization at Tufts um, who, in the campus center, had a little uh, little table mm-hmm. where you would write a letter to some voter who they had from their database who had not signed up yet or had not mm. voted yet. And you were instructed to write this letter and say, you know, hi, I'm Josh. I'm a student. I'm voting. And I think you should vote, too. I, we need to protect our country, et cetera, et cetera. But it had this this feeling of... And this assumption of just complete illiteracy and sort of you're an idiot, basically, yeah. was the tone of the messages that they wanted to be sent to folks. It was super patronizing. Um, and I think that was just one of the responses to that moment um, and to sort of convince people to vote was this like, oh, you're not registered to vote. Well, we need to register together. Like, I would know because I'm 18. Like, I really think yeah. you should vote. I will say Tufts does have a very um, condescending outlook mm. towards people who aren't registered to vote. Absolutely. And don't vote. And yep. yes, you should vote. You should totally participate in the elections and share your opinions and share your voice and participate in the community. But also, I think it's important to respect people's privacy. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that was just sort of an interesting moment for me reflecting back on that. But um, I think it's important that we move to the weekend, right? We've made it through the brunt of our yes, week. Saturday. Um, and let's move on to Saturday and Sunday. And here we are now at the end of our week. I think it's Saturday. I think it's Sunday. I think it's pretty emblematic of COVID time because who the hell knows what day it is? I'm pretty sure it's Saturday, but me and Josh are fighting about <laughs> it. 
<laughs> we can't come to an agreement on what day it is, but you know, I think it, it's it's sort of symbolic it of is. what time was. Um, I don't know what a week is anymore. Absolutely, time is is days are just days. Um, and in thinking about sort of the closing of this conversation, we want to bring in a quote by Charles Rosenberg in 1989, sort of describing the the performance of a pandemic. Epidemics start at a moment in time, proceed on a stage limited in space and duration, follow a plot line of increasing and revelatory tension, and then move into a crisis of individual and collective character, followed by a drift towards closure. And I think, right, thinking about the end of this week, the end of this conversation, reflecting back on this moment, what did it feel like, and where do we move on from there? Yeah, this quote clearly defines a typical pattern of social choreography recognizable Absolutely. across history. And one thing important to note that is none of us know like anything other than historical contexts about other epidemics and pandemics. Absolutely. And that's exactly what COVID's going to be for future generations. Mm, such a great point. And I think what was unique about September 2020 and thinking about, right, we're on the horizon of vaccines, the horizon of hope. I can see it, but I it's not there yet. Mm -hmm. And those conversations were sort of starting for the first time, right? We had spent the whole summer earlier that year truly in just response mode, right? We're not thinking um, very seriously about how is this going to end? But how are we going to deal with the challenges right now? Mm -hmm. And and sort of approaching the end and, and the fall of 2020 um, and thinking about the CDC announcing to states um, by November 1st, 2020, we'd like to start rolling out vaccines to states and you need to start preparing yourselves. And that announcement changed everything. I agree. I agree. It started a new sense of hope mm. that things were going to return to normal yep. um, and that we were so close to the end of this pandemic. I totally agree. And I think what was so interesting in the kind of conversations that I was having with people and with friends and with professors was I can't wait to get back to what things were. Right. Yeah. There was never a conversation of new normal. It was this desperation for the old normal. And it was yeah. this longing for the times where we didn't have to think about the things we were thinking about. Which is really interesting because in class we talk a lot about how there's no simple return to the way things were. Mm. And whatever normal we build is the new normal. Absolutely. Also with the idea of vaccines, I think there was this idea of eradication. Mm. Um, like, oh, COVID's just going to be done. We're all going to be vaccinated. Um, but another thing that we talk about a lot in class is how eradication is such a, like, modern concept. And there's no eradicating COVID. There's just, like, a simple reduction of it. Yeah. Um, right. And the, the ways we've talked about pandemics ending, right? And we're sort of living through that in 2022. But yeah. we can either, right, have a level of disease that is so endemic. It's so sort of infiltrated every every part of life that we get used to it and we accept it we've also talked about the disease sort of finding refuge in certain communities that we aren't very motivated to be involved with that's another yeah. way and the final way we've talked about is the disease reaches sort of a level of asymptotic status mm -hmm. that it exists but we don't care and we don't yeah. notice one thing for me is that like during the end of this class when we started talking about eradication and what that means for covid 
is that yes here we have a lot of vaccinations happening there's mm-hmm. no more like waiting to get your booster it's just like go get your booster yep. um and it doesn't covid for us is no longer like an international spread risk yep. and as a result there's kind of like a withdrawal of coordination this is no longer about like a community and it seems unfair for me because i have a lot of family in iran where it's hard to get those vaccines i watched my family there go through something completely different than i did and um it's interesting to see how like this pandemic is continuing to occur in a lot of underprivileged countries at such a higher rate because of a lack of international care Thank you for sharing that experience. That's really interesting to hear about just another side of the pandemic that I am not very familiar with. And I think um, what's so interesting is, right, we're talking about the conversation about hope, about vaccines. That isn't true of everywhere. Um, and the sort of pace and, and fascination with this very medicalized, militarized I, understanding of the pandemic is so American. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something else that we've talked about that really struck me is, right, as we're in this fall of 2020 moving towards vaccination and, and understanding, right, how is this vaccine going to be rolled out and thinking about the different sort of mm-hmm. strata of people that were allowed at once um, to be vaccinated, right, starting with healthcare workers and moving down in terms of priority, thinking about people who at times were eligible to be vaccinated and, and sort of forfeit their spot in line. And right, what is it? And it really begs the question of like, what does it mean that there is a line? Yeah. And what and what does it take? And how how do how do people's sort of understandings of themselves, where they fit into to their environment, relate to to the, to that? And I think yeah. the vaccine rollout effort was so interesting. And how do you morally choose like yeah. a group of people over another? And I think in who se- decides that? Right, right. In September of 2020, as as the vaccine sort of sat there in in this impending idea. We had no idea, truly, Mm-mm. about what was going to unfold in the beginning of of twenty twenty one, um, and, and how that vaccine, yeah, would affect our lives. This moment, September twenty twenty, this week, you know, in mm-hmm. quotes, is just not talked about, and I think it was so challenging for people in so many ways. Yeah. And it's often, I think, easier to just, like, let it go. And we don't get the space to figure out, like, what Mm -hmm. happened. I think it's also hard because I fully blacked out, Mm. like, 2020, parts of 2021. I think I would rather not remember a lot of it because a lot of it was me spending a lot of time with myself. Like, we're talking about it because... We've been talking about it in this um, semester long Mm -hmm. class and we have a lot of like new ideas and like how this relates in a historical context. But for a lot of people, it was like I'm spending so much time by myself. I should maybe like figure out who I am or grow as a person, but also like I'm living in a pandemic and I feel stuck. I think it's easier to just not remember the inaction that Mm -hmm. was happening than to talk about it. Yeah, no, I think sitting here and, and creating this podcast, I, you know, the both of us having these moments of like, oh my God, that happened. And yeah. I think that rang so true for me in watching Christina Wong's mm-hmm. um, Sweatshop Overlord. First of all, oh, an amazing performance. Amazing. Amazing. And I, I 
I'm in love with her. Absolutely. And and sitting there <laughs> and and just remembering what that felt like because mm-hmm. I think we know what it looked like and we and we lived it. We lived it, but we never really and at least true for myself like processed what that felt like and I think thinking about we're in you know December now of 2022 the person I am today is so different from the person I was December 2020. It's very different. I don't know if I'm, like, a better person. Right, than. and I think that's that's the question. Like, were we better because of COVID? Like, was COVID a, an inevitable that yeah. shaped us into a better people? Or I don't know. Was it? Did it make us worse? Yeah, I think I spent a lot of time by myself during COVID, and I, like, really reflected on who I want to be. Yeah. Um, And now I'm, like, kind of taking those actions to be that person. However, I'm still, like, traumatized by what happened. Yeah. No one – I think no one talks about how traumatizing COVID was for everyone. Absolutely. We are all completely different people because we went through something that changed the way we think, changed the way we view the world and view our futures. We can, and as so many people have across history and across time and place, try to make sense and make meaning of – their experience with disease and mm-hmm. and how do we sort of make the quote unquote best out of it and how do we you know apply existing frameworks and 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 cognitive understandings of the way the world works to try to gain some control over the moment and i think you know good or bad we we did do that right we we did our best to try to understand to try to make ourselves comfortable to try to heal to try to deal with the sort of simultaneous epidemics of racism of disparities of death of covid of mental health of social media of celebrity of class of power right there's just so much that covid exposes i loved our conversation i'm so happy that we decided to do a (laughs) podcast together and i'm excited to just like look back and be like that happened and i'm i'm just excited that this is like a form of history that we're making i totally agree i mean we are making history. I love that. Um, you know, I think this is hopefully one of those things that I can, like, hold on to and look back on in two years and five years yeah. and ten years and be like, we did that. We and, did that. Like, we, we looked back and we made some meaningful, you know, Yeah. And also, me and Josh have never made a podcast before. Never made a podcast before. This was crazy. This is insane. And I think, you know, maybe to, to, to finish up here. What was what's really unique about a podcast and especially this conversational mm-hmm. podcast is doing it with somebody else. Yeah. And I think as important as the sort of introspection that is involved with this type of thing, we've learned, right, mm-hmm. that you need to do it with other people. And that in yes. order to make the most meaning out of what COVID was and what that week, September 2020, mm-hmm. arriving to Tufts felt like where we were so deeply alone. Correct. Is that now there is some sort of like, I don't know what it is, poetic justice or something, (laughs) like bringing it now to another person in Tisch Library, talking into microphones in a space that I've maybe, I've literally never been in this space before. I've never been in this space. So I'm really glad that we did this. This was just like fun. It was fun. And I think healing. It, it was definitely healing. And this is like the first semester at Tufts that things are slowly returning yeah. to how they were before the pandemic. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting to see how like we've made this connection. We've come out of Zoom. 
Um, we're sitting across the table. We are not yeah. six feet away from no, each other. No, we're really not. I think, I think I'm, I'm excited um, for the future, and I'm yes. excited to continue to look back. I think it's a really important practice, you know, throughout your life to to look back, to make sense, to make meaning, to heal, to to process what happened. Um, and I'm really glad we got through this together. I know. Yay. Well, thank you so much for listening, listeners. <laughs> thank you for listening to our podcast. This has been a Contagion Conversation. Again, I am Josh. I am Saba. And you did it. You made it to the end of the podcast. We hope yeah. you have a wonderful whatever time it is. And we hope to see you maybe again. Yeah. Maybe this will be a regular <laughs> thing. Let's see. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>